Amen. Amen. I encourage you this morning to take your Bible and uh, open it to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Actually, we're going to focus mostly on the first two verses, but I'll read all of them. The first two verses will be on the screen for you, and uh, we'll take it from there. So Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. It says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted Carry each other's burdens. Um, Another translation says, Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's take a moment again to pray and just allow these words to kind of settle into our minds and hearts. And Father, I thank you for your word. We have just read it. And I pray that you would take your word and apply it through, uh, apply the written word through the living word, the spirit of Christ to our hearts, to our lives, that you would bring about the change that you want to in our, in our lives today. Um, conviction, if, if necessary, Lord. Um, comfort, if that's what we need. Um, in all things, Lord, would we hear your voice and the truth that's, uh, that's in your voice and in the, your written word. We want to focus on you and hear you only today. So give us that. Um, give us that this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the last sermon in our series called uh, One Another or One Anothering. Have you been enjoying it? (laughs) A great series. I've been learning a lot. (laughs) And uh, today we're going to talk about bearing one another's burdens or carrying each other's burdens. Next week, uh, November 29th, is the first Sunday of Advent. Can you believe that? Next Sunday we're going to be singing Christmas carols. Josh, how are we going to dance to Christmas carols? We'll find a way. Um, love it. Uh, made the mistake probably yesterday of going to Walmart, doing a little bit of shopping. It was crazy, but Christmas carols are blaring. We're in the season, and it's time to engage and anticipate uh, the coming, the advent of Jesus Christ in a different way. But uh, hopefully you've started your shopping. If you haven't, get on it. Uh, we're well ahead of you. We celebrated uh, an early Christmas last weekend with Marcy's family. We came out and did that and had a baby shower for grandbaby. It was awesome. Today, I want to talk uh, about three things. First of all, uh, from this text, I want to talk about burdens, simply burdens. What is a burden? I'm going to also talk about sin. I'm going to talk about the word caught because they all go together. That's under point number one. Um, Some people say, you know, I feel burdened to to pray. And I'm, I'm actually not quite sure that that is the right statement to make. 
Maybe it's to be, uh, I heard somebody say this past week, God put it, laid it on my heart to pray. I would agree with that. God uh, compelled me to pray because praying moves you forward. But being burdened in the true sense of the word is not that way. A burden is a weight, a hardship, a grief, a misery that causes us to sink. That is the biblical meaning of burden. It is a weight that is upon us that pushes us down and keeps us there. Unable to move forward. In this context, it is specific to temptation and to sin. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But we can have other burdens in life. I mean, there's physical burdens. In the Old Testament, they literally had people called burden bearers who were charged with the task of carrying very heavy objects and construction. So the building of the temple required burden bearers where huge stones were set in place. And this is something that one man could not do alone. There was many burden bearers to help bear that weight to set it into place. So there's other life circumstances that cause burdens. There's financial burdens. There's health burdens. Uh, Mike and Stephanie Gower that were in the first service, they bore a great burden in the last couple of weeks with the birth of a, a premature baby. But before that, Mike, I actually ran into him yesterday at Walmart and, and he told me that it was the scariest moment in his life when he woke up to find his wife seizuring and having to call 911 and to have two ambulances show up and for them to literally carry Stephanie to carry that burden, that, that medical emergency to the hospital where she was watched 24-7 for five days before they took the baby, right? That's a burden. That's heavy. But the burden we're talking about this morning, uh, uh, by the way, all of those kind of, of, of burdens are ones that in a previous sermon called encourage and build one another up. Those are the things where we are meant as the body of Christ to strengthen one another so that we can stand up under those kind of things. But the burden of sin is different. And we're going to talk about that today. The burden of sin, if you're trapped and caught in a sin, it is something that keeps a weight on your life where you're unable to move forward. And so we need one another to, to, to bear those for us. So that's what the burden means. There's actually two words in Scripture that both are translated burden or load. The first one is baros, and it is actually the one that we're talking about here in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, verse 2. It, 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 that baros literally means that pressing weight that keeps us down. Uh, the other one is the word fortion, and it is something carried it is something that we bear a load but it is always used as simply as something to be born without reference to its weight so it is lighter uh, in fact fortion is the word that jesus used uh, which is recorded in matthew 11 verse 30 where he said uh, you know my yoke is easy and my burden is light we're going to get to that that's the word fortion but the word baros is the one that we're dealing with here today. That is this heavy burden, the burden of sin. Uh, one of the authors I wrote, uh, or that I read this morning, he, he wrote this, suffering, suffering under the weight of sin offers a chance to show love by bearing others' burdens. If the primary reference in Galatians is to moral lapse, which it is, the implications are broader referring to fulfilling the law of Christ. We're going to get to that. As distinct from Stoic altruism, and that word altruism means basically an attitude. Stoic altruism means, I don't care. 
uh, you're disinterested, unwilling to get involved, you are on your own kind of an attitude. As distinct from that, this bearing of burdens of the Baros and others' lives, this author says, finds focus in the community. In the community. And that's why this is truly a one another. Uh, it fits truly in our one another series. It truly is a one another of Scripture. Burdens can only be lifted. We can only climb out under the weight of sin with the help of other people. Let's talk about sin. So that's bur- a burden is the result of sin. But what are we talking about here specifically in Galatians if anyone is caught in a sin? Sin is the word trespass or a transgression. And in this context, it means a false step, a sidestep, an unintentional lapse or deviation, a blunder. And it is not to be mistaken with falling away, but rather uh, to commit a fault. So this is to commit a fault, not to fall away. There's a big difference. And I'm going to get to that in a bit. Have you ever, uh, have you ever um, uh, had a false step or a sidestep, a, a slip? Where you, like I'm talking literally, where you misstepped and you went down? Whether it was uh, hiking or you hit a curb. Um, I, I got these new glasses. They misdiagnosed, misprescribed my, my glasses. This astigmatism thing, right? And I was always like, I felt like I was always going to hit the curb, and I actually, it was causing me to stumble. And uh, it wasn't a good situation. I had to get that corrected, obviously. But this is the kind of sin that Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter 6. This is, you don't see it coming. You commit a false step, or you have an unintentional lapse or deviation, and you go down, and you fall but you don't fall away. Does that make sense? That's what this is talking about here. And it's very, very important to know the difference. Now, this is not to downplay the seriousness of sin or the consequences of sin because it is still sin. But there is a difference. This is not to justify bad behavior, which is what the Galatians were tending to do. They said, well, I'm free from the burden of the law. I'm going to get, get to that later. And so it doesn't matter how I live. Paul said, no, 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 it does matter how we live. And when you commit sinful acts according to the sinful nature, you incur a burden in your life that is meant to be there so that you can be freed from it and move on after you have help from others and you confess your sin. If we have the attitude that sin doesn't matter, that what that leads to is the second type of sin, which is uh, a uh, premeditated, willful unrepentant kind of sin where you don't care what you do and you're going to keep doing it. That's not the case here in Galatians. This is a slip, a fall, a blunder where you got caught and you're feeling the weight of your action. If we allow ourselves to get into the second kind of sin, sinful lifestyle, Hebrews warns us that if we, if we continue in that, what we're doing is we're trampling underfoot the blood of Christ And we are warned that if we do that repeatedly, there will be no forgiveness left for those sins. So we have to be really careful. But we're talking about the first kind. So so I've already talked about the word caught. So we've got burden, sin, caught. 
The word caught is literally mean to be overtaken in a trespass. Um, not that of a person, uh, not that of detecting a person in the act, but of his being caught by a trespass, being through his being off guard. That's why we're told to guard ourselves. So you're caught off guard, you sin, you fall flat on your face. It's different than a premeditated, willful, unrepentant sin. It is this first kind of sin, the one where that takes us off guard, where we are, we are caught, unaware. We, we, we didn't plan to go there. We didn't want to go there, but we're there. Now what do we do with it? And this is the kind of sin that Paul says that we are to bear in each other's lives. But just so you don't think that I'm trying to minimize the first kind of sin because it's all a trespass, I want, uh, I want us to listen to Psalm 38. If you have your Bible, go to Psalm 38 for a minute because Psalm 38 uh, is probably the greatest example in the Bible of, about the impact and the burden of sin in a person's life. This is David writing after he messed up. Most of us, when we think about a moral lapse or a fall or a failure, we think about sexual sin, but it's not limited to that. The Bible lumps um, lying, murder, gossip, debauchery, drunkenness, sexual immorality. It, it puts them all in the same category. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. It's a trespass of God's law. For David, it happened to be specific to adultery and murder, which is pretty heavy stuff. Uh, for us, it could be, you know, we lied, and we need to deal with that. And so... Um, Psalm, Psalm 38. O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. We're going to come back to wrath. Just put that one in your back pocket. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down heavy upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Oh, talk about the burden of sin. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away from me. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they, they plot my deception. So now David is just being isolated by the community. You're on your own. I'm like a deaf man who can't hear like a mute who can't open his mouth. I've become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply because he's listening to all of these condemning statements coming his way. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer me, O Lord, my God, for I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. See, he slipped. Major blunder. Major. For I'm about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I'm troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies, those who would hate me without reason or numerous, those who repay my good with evil, slander me when I pursue 
what is good. That's the impact of sin. That's the burden of sin in our lives. And you know what? This series, it's been so good for me personally because it is designed to help us, uh, to equip us to fulfill the mission that God has given us as a church. And every Sunday when we sit here, we see the mission that's before us. Here in Chilliwack, we have it up on our side walls. In Agassiz, we put the banners up right on the stage. And it says that we exist to be authentic followers of Jesus. And you know, when we um, um, are feeling the weight and the burden of sin, it's hard to be an authentic follower of Jesus, isn't it? We're trapped. We, we, we feel the weight. Not able to move forward. And we're certainly not able then to lead others to follow him until we come up out from that burden. And we do this by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. And you know, the message today is no different than any of the other one and others, like serve each other and love each other and all of those things. Because how we treat one another in times of moral failure and sin is likely one of the greatest testaments to a watching world of the grace and the mercy and the love of our Savior. Amen? The world watches. And so when we talk about loving God and loving people and serving our world, 1 Corinthians 13, you know the great love chapter, one of the statements, verse 7 says, Love bears all things. And that means that it bears the sin in another person's life. Because you see, one of the worst testaments to a watching world is our harsh judgmentalism of one another when we mess up and fall flat on our face. Right? How many times have you heard it said or, or, or even heard yourself or whatever that, uh, that the church shoots its wounded? You ever heard that? What a sad testament to the grace and the mercy and love and compassion of our, of our Savior. I am so thankful that Central Community Church is not this way. And God keep us from ever going there. And people say, well, if the church just shoots its wounded, those that are suffering, even as a result of sin, especially because of sin, I mean, David talked about being isolated, that people literally it would gloat over him and exalt themselves over him because he slept and fell. God have mercy when we do that in people's lives. Why do we live in fear of confessing our sin? As, as Pastor Rob Thiessen uh, did a great job a number of weeks ago, what, you know, he talked about one of the primary reasons is because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we confess a sin, we're going to be dealt with harshly by the Christian community instead of being restored. Right? So we suffer. We suffer in silence. And today, I want us to help. I want, I want to help us. I want to help you. I want to help me to get past that. To learn what it means to be a burden bearer. To lift the weight of sin in another person's life, not to heap it on more. Uh, last week, after actually just before. Uh, BC's dismal loss to the Calgary Stampeders, which we were are done lamenting now, right? 
Uh, actually, you know, a good, really good thing about this is that uh, today, as Pastor Chris mentioned, we're having this outreach event in Agassiz, so I don't have to worry about people watching the Calgary Stampeders and the Edmonton Eskimos going, like, who really cares about that? So, um, so it's a good thing. They'll be, they'll be at the outreach event, uh, you know, enjoying themselves and connecting relationally because the Stampeders are, I mean, the, the Lions are done. But anyway, Jeff uh, Tedford, who's the BC Lions head coach, he was interviewed, and I was listening to this on my way home from church to watch the game, and, and uh, they were interviewing him. And the question was basically asked, so what, coach, what's it going to take for your team to win today? I mean, Stampeders is a good team, right? And they got a lot of depth there, and they're they're very energetic and whatever. What what do you, what's going to take to win? And I was a little surprised by the answer, and I understand it coming from a sports perspective, from a secular perspective. But I thought, oh my goodness, this is exactly the opposite of what we need to do in the church. And uh, Tedford said, well, you know what? In order to win, we it, it's all about us. We have to focus on us on our game, not deviate from the plan, and we're not going to worry about the Stampeders and what they do. We're going to stick to our plan. And I get that, but I thought, really? Maybe it would have helped a little bit to focus on what the Stampeders are doing just a little bit more. You know, maybe, right? And I thought, okay, in the church, um, sometimes we got, our, we got our head down and it's all about us. And... It is essential to focus on the other. And in the church, this has dual meaning. You know, if we want to win this struggle against sin, because it is, it's not just a struggle, it's a battle. Okay? Let's not kid ourselves. This is a battle we're in. We need the focus to be squarely on on other people and how we can help carry their burdens and lift them out under the weight of sin, Right? But we also need to understand the enemy. What is this opposition? Who is this opposition that we're facing? The true enemy. And we need to work together as a church to win this battle against sin and not fight each other. Right? There's a really good illustration about this in the Daily Bread actually just this past week. Lo and behold, I'm preaching Galatians 6 and forget what day it was, but Galatians 6, 1 and 2 in the Daily Bread. And they had an illustration uh, about um, the commemoration of Anzac on its 100th anniversary, which happened just in April. I'll explain this. So April 25th, 2015 marked the 100th commemoration of Anzac Day. And this is celebrated every year in, in both Australia and New Zealand to honor the members of the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. That's ANZAC, Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. Because you see, during World War I, they put aside all of their differences and their, different, their politics and all of that, and they said, if we want to win the battle, we have to fight together. It's the only way we can win. And so every year, this year was the 100th anniversary, uh, they commemorated the fact that the soldiers from both countries engaged in a struggle together. It's amazing. Have you ever had a defining moment in your life? A marker where things just changed for you? I'm, I'm sure you have. I've, I've had multiple uh, moments like this in my life. I'm sure we all have. 
our speaker at the men's breakfast yesterday, if you missed that, by the way, oh, it was an amazing meal and it was an amazing time. And our speaker, uh, uh, oh, come on, help me out. Tom Watson, yeah, thanks. He, he talked about a defining moment in his life where, I mean, he had a, a number, I'm sure, but grade nine, I think it was, where his step uh, stepdad, number 13, could have been 14 at that point, he had been in 13 foster homes up to age five. A brutal history of abuse and neglect and you name it. And of course, he, he did a lot of acting out, understandably but still making bad choices, right, as a kid. Getting in all kinds of trouble. And Mr. Watson said to him, Tommy, uh, remember this formula and you won't go wrong. He said, your choices plus your actions equal your life. Now you can make bad choices and you can do bad things and you will have a bad life. It's your choice. Or you can have good actions, uh, good choices, which result in doing good things, and you will have a good life. It's that simple. Defining moment in his life. I had a defining moment in my life on my very first night of Bible college at Briarcrest Bible College in southern Saskatchewan. Um, I was carrying some very heavy burdens going into Bible school. And that day was hard. Remember that? Marcy, <laughs> um, mom and dad, and drove me and and Marcy. We were dating at that time and engaged already, right? No, not at that point. But we'd known each other for a while. I got my facts straight. We were serious. We were very serious. We wrote a lot of letters. No internet. Long distance phone calls. I would call, collect. She'd return the call to the payphone, and we'd talk, right? cost tons of money. But uh, mom and dad drove me to Briarcrest, dropped me off, had tearful goodbyes uh, to mom and dad and to Marcy especially. And then I, there I was all, all alone, just not knowing what to do. I went to my dorm room and set it up. And then our resident assistant called a, a, a wing, a meeting for our wing that night. And um, I have never experienced the authenticity of Christian community until that moment. It was powerful. I was carrying some very heavy burdens going into Bible college. You don't know this about my story, but I'm going to open it up just a little bit this morning. I, um, as I said in the first service, I'm a pretty complex guy. Like there's a, there's a lot of things about me that are kind of going on, right? But at the end of grade four, so this is... Uh, June 1980, I was uh, sexually abused. I was actually abused by a serial uh, child molester who had abused children um, internationally for many years. And I was one of his victims and uh, found out later through a whole process of court when he was finally caught and I was testifying at different hearings and whatnot that... uh, He had used all over the world 27 different aliases that were known, and my name was actually one of them, my real name he used to abuse other boys. In Abbotsford, now remember, I'm in Saskatchewan. 
and uh, so he he was arrested. We we went through the whole court process. Was uh, he was declared a dangerous offender, given indeterminate uh, sentence, never to come out of prison. Uh, died in prison actually I was kept aware of his whereabouts all the time through victim services and um, as a result of that so that happened at the end of grade four uh, all through that summer going into grade five my uh, to say the least you know confused struggling was introduced to this thing called pornography which uh, held a real grip on my life for quite a few years in grade six, I, I was introduced, because I have two old, twin brothers who are three years older than me, you know, they're going into grade 10 at this point, nine, 10. I'm going into grade six. I was introduced to uh, alcohol, so I, I drank a lot. You do these things to try to reestablish your identity and deal with your pain and your anger. Of course, that doesn't work. It's sinful. They're sinful actions, right, on my part. And so... The burden was heavy upon me, and I, I entered Bible college this way, and that night I can only describe as the Spirit of God descending in that place as a young man after young man opened up and shared and was vulnerable or where they were at in life and what they expected, you know, being at college. And, and our resident assistant did a beautiful job leading that time and praying over us. And I remember that I broke down that night and the floodgates opened and I wept. I don't remember crying much up until that point and I don't think I've cried as hard since that point. But the release and the freedom and the joy that came into my heart as I just sat there and wept, I couldn't do anything else but just weep. It was incredible. Because the guys in my wing bore my burdens. It was an atmosphere that was safe. I felt that I could share. And friends, this is what we need to do in the church. And, what, and what's really cool about that is that um, I thought that I uh, was going to go off to university uh, to study law. I, I have this sense of justice. <laughs> and I wanted to become a lawyer. Ultimately, I wanted to be a prosecutor because the Crown Prosecutor in my case did such a good job. And I wanted to be that guy. And uh, through a series of events... Uh, couple of mentors in my life who were my youth leader and my pastor actually lived at, in the home of my associate pastor when I was in grade 12, directed me to Bible college, said, Ellen, you got, forget the law stuff. Go to, go to Bible college and become a pastor. I'm like, what? I don't know the Bible. I, you know, the American Association of Bible Colleges, they give every freshman a test. And uh, so... When you walk into Bible college, they want to see how much you know. Well, I failed that thing so bad. There's like 150 questions. I think I got 36 or something right. Like I just, it was miserable. And so in your senior year, when you're going to graduate your bachelor's degree, church ministry, pastoral major, I thought, oh my goodness, they, they test you again. 
And I was freaking out. I thought, did I learn anything here? And you know what? Like, and this is not to make myself look good, but I tell you, because the burden was lifted in my life, literally that very first night in the dorm, it opened up the way for me just to dig into God's word. And I did that for the next four years. I dug into the word and I memorized the word and I talked Marcy's ear off about the word. She remembers that. I just constantly talking about God's word. And when I took that test again, like I nailed it. <laughs> Wasn't perfect, but I think it was like literally up in the, like close to 150. Like I just, I just nailed it. And the joy of my Christian life and the growth that came uh, of being immersed in the word after that burden was lifted was just simply amazing. Now, um, I'm, not, I'm, not here to, I'm not standing before you here to, to tell you that my life since then hasn't been burdened <laughs> from time to time with the weight of sin because the reality of humanity is that we, f- we slip and we fall multiple times, right? And so we continually need others to bear our burdens. And, that, and we're going to get to that word and what it means in a minute, but let's talk about burden bearing. We've got to move on here because time is ticking. Uh, so those are burdens, right? Because of sin. Burden bearing. Um, Matthew 23, Jesus told his disciples, you know, don't be like the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law because they impose burdens on you that you were never meant to carry. And so what they were doing was they were actually wanting to catch people when they messed up. And then they would create more rules so that you couldn't meet that one either. And then they would nail you with it. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't be like that. You have to live a different way. And I've come to fulfill the law. So let's, we're going to get to that as well. So what does it mean to bear, to carry? Uh, it's a present active imperative verb, which means that every day in your life and in my life, we need to be looking for opportunities where we can come alongside someone and help them with that burden. It means to take up, to lift up, to raise, to carry away means to support, to sustain, to share. Not to share in the sin. That's why Paul says, watch yourself that you won't be tempted, but to share in the burden, in the struggle, and help lift it. In John chapter 10, verse 31, it says this, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. How many times in the Gospels do we see the Jews, the Pharisees, picking up stones? The woman caught in adultery. I mean, they did it to Paul. They tried to do it with Jesus. Those stones represent the sin in our life. These are the burdens that we were never meant to bear. And those Pharisees wanted to throw them. And there's, a, there's an opportunity here and a question before of us. What, will, what do we do with those stones when we lift them? Do we throw them or do we carry them away and put them at the foot of the cross? where Jesus has already borne that burden. It's the question before us. The goal is restoration. It's what Paul talks about. This is an essential element of burden bearing. To restore means to make someone completely adequate, sufficient, complete, mended, and qualified. To, to make them like they were in their former condition. And so this is an amazing word. It's actually used in Ephesians 4 by Paul where he says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers 
to prepare God's people for works of service. That word prepare is this word. Restore. That's used in Galatians chapter 6. It is the word katartidzo, and it means to restore them, to make them sufficient, complete, qualified, mended, ready to go. It's the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 4, or Matthew 2 or 4, I forget, I think chapter 4, where Jesus calls the first disciples. So he sees these disciples fishing. And then, he's, and then he sees the other two, I think it was James and John, or Peter and Ed, I think James and John, mending their nets after a hard day of fishing. And that's the same word used here in Galatians. It, it literally means after the fishermen were done, they pulled their nets out, they would clean them, they would wash them so they don't break down. They would mend the tears so that they can be useful again. They will get them ready to be productive. That's the goal of restoration. So that when somebody slips and falls and messes up, we don't throw a stone on them or keep them down there. We mend them so that they're ready to go again. Let's talk about the burden bearer. I'm going to talk about Uh, First of all, the body of Christ, what it means to be a burden bearer, and then also Christ himself who bore our burdens. And here's a note before I talk about this. Uh, Not all sins should be borne by us. And it's going to sound harsh, but here's the reality. Remember um, the type of sin in Galatians and someone who's caught, they slipped, they they didn't premeditate or or intend, but they're trapped, right? That's the kind of person who's ready to be picked up and to be mended and ready to go that we deal with. People who engage in willful, premeditated, unrepentant sin, we, we shouldn't go there. Because even in the first case, Paul said, watch yourself lest you're tempted. You are going to get yourself in trouble. And at some point you need to back away, like Paul said in 1 in Corinthians, you know what? That person needs to be left alone. We're going to hand them over to Satan, literally his world, so they can figure out what it means to bear the full weight of their sin because they haven't got it yet. And when they do get it, it's what Second Corinthians is all about. Okay, the penalty imposed on all of you is enough. It's sufficient. Stop. Now take him back because he's ready. Now bear his burden. That's what we're talking about here. So what kind of person... The language is intentional. Paul starts with brothers, sisters. What it means is a commitment to family. And we need to view each other, friends, in the church as family because blood always runs thicker than water. And when family is struggling and suffering and they've come to their senses and they've had enough, even before then, a lot of tears are shed. There's a lot of weeping for those that are caught in their lifestyle, in their sin. And if we are not moved to compassion and to kindness, something is wrong. So this is the attitude we come with. Family. Number two, you who are spiritual. What are you thinking? Well, who of us is spiritual? Okay. doesn't mean perfect, right? What it means is, is the spirit of Christ in you. Are you possessed by the spirit of God? Does he control the general thoughts and patterns of your life? Are you keeping in step with the spirit? That's why Galatians chapter you know, 
5 earlier, Paul talks about the uh, sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit. So those who are generally walking with Christ and they're, they're moving forward in their relationship with him, they have to get involved to help others who are struggling. Okay? doesn't mean perfection. Spiritual means you have the Spirit. doesn't mean you're perfect. All right, number three, gentle. Oh, this is put in there for a reason. This is crucial. Not harsh. It means to come with an attitude of humility, um, meekness, mildness. Paul said in Ephesians 4, be always humble and meek. First Timothy 6, to Timothy, strive for endurance and gentleness. It's the negation of harshness. All right? It also carries with it the, word, the, the meaning of leniency. This does not dismiss sin, but it treats it a little bit differently by somebody who's ready to be restored. And so a judge who has a case brought before him or her is sworn by oath to uphold the law. So somebody breaks the law in our society, they have to be dealt with accordingly. But the judge can be lenient or he can be harsh or she, right? Based on their attitude, what they're willing to do, what they have done, the history, we say, okay, you're worthy of three months. Three months in jail, three months of community service as opposed to three years. See the difference? In this case, Paul said, be gentle. Go easy in restoring. In restoring. Number four characteristic is you have to be self-aware. I'll go through this quickly. Paul said, watch yourself or you may be tempted. So we have to be aware of our own temptations. We have to be aware of our pride. Paul said, do this humbly. Test your own actions. Don't compare yourself to others. That's the load we have to carry. That's the different uh, weight. <laughs> Test our own actions so that we don't become proud and conceited because then we'll mess up. And fifth, Paul said, it has, you have to be a person who's a good doer or a, a do-gooder, right? Known for doing good, especially to those in the family of believers, the family, right? So I want to tell you this morning, if you don't have these qualities... Um, if, you're, if you don't have family commitment, the Spirit of God is not active in your life, you are not gentle, you are not aware of your own temptations or you're not going about doing good, please don't try to restore somebody because you're just going to shoot them. We need people who will help. Let's talk about Christ. It all points to Christ. Paul said, in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it, right? Then he goes on to say, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the teachers, those who put the burdens on people, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So like people are going to Jesus, well, what? We're hooped. He elevated murder, not just from stabbing somebody with a knife, but to talking evil about them. So who, who can be saved? And that was Jesus' point. Unless your righteousness surpasses them. In other words, it's me. Jesus is the righteousness that came from God. And unless he is our righteousness, we're hooped. And what did he do in his righteousness? Oh man, now I'm getting going and our time is slipping away. It is for freedom, Paul wrote in Galatians 5, verse 1, if you back up in context. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And, 
And, and Paul says, don't go back to the law. Stand on the law of Christ. But that does not give you freedom to sin, which, would, which is what some were doing. And then now you need to be lifted from that burden. But Christ has set us free. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get a witness to that, please? Amen. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And that's what it means to fulfill the law of Christ. We bring Christ into people's lives. We lead them to Christ so they can be free by the spirit. Whew, that's good stuff right there. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden, for Tion, not Pharaoh's, my burden is light. Isaiah 53. Oh, that beautiful passage that we often refer to at Christmas and at Easter, but we should be doing it all year long. He bore our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. The, the sin that was on us was crushed him, and he bore it at the cross. And in John chapter 19, and Peter reiterates this, what's said in Isaiah, John 19, it says, So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross. Friends, he bore it for you. You don't need to be under that burden of sin anymore. He bore it for you to the cross, on the cross, the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between. And Roman, Romans, Paul repeatedly says that Jesus bore the wrath of God and he did it at the cross. Would you come this morning to the cross? Would you come to the cross? I don't have time this morning, but write down Psalm 81, will you? Psalm 81 is the direct opposite of Psalm 38. Remember Psalm 38, the weight of our sin? Psalm 81 talks about the fact that he has borne our burdens. He's released us from oppression. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And that is the good news that we need to live out in this church with one another. Amen? With one another. And so as we close in prayer, there will be prayer partners here this morning who will help bear burdens. They are there to hold things in confidence. They are there to help carry those weights that you're feeling to the throne room of God to be left at the foot of the cross. Please Make yourself available of them. They're identified here in the service. Come talk to me. Let's leave our burdens with Christ. Amen. Let's bear them for each other. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. How encouraging it is. The good news of Jesus Christ that you bore our burdens at the cross. Oh Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you were humble. You were gentle. You took the wrath of God. You were crushed for my iniquities, for my sin, that I don't have to be. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to one another as the body of Christ to bear these kind of burdens for each other. And in this way, fulfill the word of God. And I want to end with Psalm 68, 19 and 20, which says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Amen.